welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join Pastor Will Price for the message, Joseph, the Forgotten Father of Christmas. I cannot believe how fast this year has flown by for me and for my family. You can probably say the same thing. But man, I'm so glad that it's Christmas. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but Christmas time really is probably my favorite time of the year. Um, I don't know, I just, I love the uh, excitement and the anticipation uh, going into Christmas, especially with kids. Kids make it so much fun, don't they? And, and you know what else I love about Christmas? I love the spirit of giving that erupts during Christmas. I, I was watching yesterday uh, a, a large group of people from our church um, doing this thing that they called the big give. And, um, and my family does stuff, and I know your family probably does stuff, but I just love how people just, just give when it comes to Christmas. This, this spirit of generosity just sort of erupts during Christmas. You know what else I love about Christmas? Uh, and this is a little, a little personal for me, but I love every Christmas because my daughter um, participates in a faith-based uh, ballet uh, theater. And every Christmas they do a, a Christmas ballet. And I just love watching my daughter dance for Jesus. It's just so cool to watch her and all of her different uh, roles that she gets uh, uh, to, to, to play in that Christmas ballet. And I don't mean to sound uh, too cliche or cheesy, but I was thinking about this the other day. And you know, life is a lot like a Christmas ballet. Okay, life is a lot like a uh, Christmas play that you might participate in school in that everyone, when it comes to life, wants to have a part. When it comes to this journey we call life, everybody wants to have a role that they play. Everybody wants to know, okay, what, what part am I gonna have? What role am I gonna play in this life? And is my role going to be important? Life is a lot like that, we, we wanna know if we're gonna play a part and if we're gonna make a difference and if we're gonna leave a legacy. It makes me think of that old saying that people often use when someone passes away. And that is gone, but not forgotten, right? You know, I think we would all love for that to be said about us. That we may be gone, but we played such a significant role in this thing called life that we're not gonna be forgotten. And today in our Bible study, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a guy who is long gone and is actually oftentimes forgotten. His name is Joseph, and I like to call him the forgotten father of Christmas. I want you to think about this. How often do you hear a sermon about the earthly father of Jesus? I'm sure you maybe had Christian radio on, on your way to church, and who knows, maybe you heard that good old song, Mary, did you know? I'm not gonna sing it. <laughs> but maybe you've heard that song, right? But let me ask you this. Why didn't somebody write, Joseph, did you know? You know, like, what's, what's up with that? Usually at Christmas time, though, we, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about Mary, and we spend a lot of time talking about the manger scene and six pound, nine ounce baby Jesus, right? Uh, but man, when it comes to Joseph, he just gets the short end of the stick. Um, in fact, uh, about a week ago, I was at a Christmas party and we were playing a uh, family feud style Christmas trivia game. And one of the categories was, 
Name one piece in the nativity set. And here's what the survey said. You got baby Jesus, which makes sense. And you got a manger. I get, I get that. You got the wise men. Mary's there, of course. And then you have a sheep and a donkey. How does farm animals make the survey over Joseph, right? Like, what's up with that? Where's Joseph? You got the angel there. So, you know, Joseph... You know, he, he just gets the short end of the stick, um, but that's how it goes. He's the forgotten father of Christmas. But what I'd like for us to consider today is that although Joseph is long gone, uh, he should not be forgotten. And we should not estimate or underestimate, I should say, what he has to teach us. Think about this. Out of all of the men that God could have chosen to be the earthly father of Jesus. He chose Joseph. And I think that says a lot. And so what we're gonna do today is we're going to read through Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna go verse by verse here and we're gonna unpack some practical life application lessons from the life of Joseph. Now you hear Pastor Mike say this a lot and I'm just gonna say it like he does. This church is about the verse by verse teaching of God's word, okay? I am not a motivational speaker, I'm a pastor. And my job according to God's word is to feed you the word of God. All right, and so we're gonna go verse by verse and, and, and we're gonna break it down. And, and at times it's gonna be a deep Bible study, but it's my job to feed you as the flock of God. And it may inspire you and it may motivate you. But at the end of the day, what we need is, is the meat of, 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 of the word of God to fill us, not a motivational speech, amen? amen? All right, so if you found Matthew 1, 18 through 25, say, I'm there. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that your word is uh, alive and true today as much as it has been over the course of the last 2,000 plus years. And God, as we open your good book this morning, we just ask that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would illuminate your scriptures, God, that you would help us to become more like Joseph, as we read about him today, ultimately more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So before we jump into uh, verses 18 through 25, I think it's important that we just make a, a couple of observations from verses one through 17. And we're not gonna read through verses one through 17, um, but I think it's important to note that Matthew opens up his document here with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, here's why that's worth mentioning. Jews had a way of keeping extensive records of their genealogies for the purpose of establishing a person's heritage. 
They kept extensive records to uh, 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 sort of legitimize who a person was, where they came from, and, and, and maybe where they're going in life. They, they, they kept these extensive records to establish uh, a person's rights. And so what Matthew is doing here in verses one through 17 is he is drawing from the extensive genealogical records that were available to him in order to set up the legitimacy of Jesus' legal claim to the throne of David. And he does that by tracing his genealogy uh, all the way back from Abraham to King David and then to his earthly father, adopted father, Joseph. Okay, now there's a lot to unpack there that we don't really have uh, uh, time for, but the main reason that I wanted to point that out is because Matthew is just, he, he's just using uh, um, what we would call an apologetic approach to recording Jesus' birth. Now, if you're not familiar with what apologetics is, basically it's just uh, this process where we use sound reasoning and historical evidence to argue or to uh, uh, legitimize our claims to what we're talking about. So that's what, what Matthew's doing. He's setting up um, verses 18 and, and, and the verses to follow. And so, does that make sense? Okay, and so he does that, and then we pick up here in verse 18, read with me. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So here what we have is we have the introduction of two key players in the birth of Jesus. Not one, two key players in the birth of Jesus. And so God, in his sovereignty, chose Mary to carry the savior of the world in her womb as a virgin. Why? Well, outside of the fact that Mary also had Davidic lineage, which I believe Luke records in his gospel, but, but outside of, of that, we don't really know why God would choose Mary. We can certainly speculate. I mean, for one, the scriptures tell us that she was a, 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 very, a very godly woman who was submissive to God's will. And I think that that would be necessary uh, to, uh, uh, to have as a characteristic if God's going to choose you to do something so incredible as to carry the savior of the world, right? And so that was Mary. She was a godly woman. We also know that she was from Nazareth. Uh, we also find out here, we just read it, that she was betrothed um, to Joseph. And other than that though, um, you know, when I look at Mary, I, I think, you know what? God is sovereign. Um, Mary fit the prophetic criteria laid out for the birth of the savior of the world. And she was a willing vessel for God's purposes. That's what we know about Mary. Now, when it comes to Joseph, we actually know less about him. What we do know about Joseph is that he was a, a carpenter, a handyman of sorts. He had uh, 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 the skills of a craftsman. Um, we also know based on scripture that he was considered a righteous man. And then also um, based off the genealogy that uh, we didn't have time to read through but, but is definitely recorded here, we know that Joseph was uh, uh, from the Davidic lineage as well. Okay, and so here, here's what I wanna point out from, from these two 
important characters in the, in the story of Jesus' birth. Mary and Joseph both had this Davidic lineage that they could claim. And, 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 and that's important for us to understand as we begin to read this story because the coming Messiah had to come from the Davidic line, right? In the Old Testament, God said that it would happen that way. 700 plus years before it happened, God said it through the prophet Isaiah that the Messiah would come in this way. He said it would happen this way, and it, and it happened. It happened. It was prophesied and promised in the Old Testament, and it was accomplished naturally through Mary and legally and royally through Joseph. Okay, now I want you to think about this especially those of you who may be new to church or maybe you're here just checking out this whole God thing. Maybe you're a little bit skeptic, a little bit skeptical as to whether or not this book is true. Think about this. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, it was prophesied in detail. Everyone say in detail. It was prophesied in detail that it would happen and ladies and gentlemen, we have the history records that it happened. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God's word can be trusted. His word can be trusted. This history book that we call the Bible is true and it can be trusted. Gotquestions.org says this. It says, where we can check biblical claims against verifiable truth, the Bible proves itself accurate. History, archeology, span science, and philosophy have shown scripture to be factual and consistent. This correspondence between various forms of evidence is a major advantage the Bible has over the scriptures of any other faith system. In many cases, it has been the deciding factor in converting skeptics and non-believers to faith in Christ. Listen to me. If you're here today and you're skeptical about this whole God thing, if you're here today and, and, and you've just been living life unsure as to whether or not you can trust the words from this book, consider it again, folks. Hundreds of years before it happened, it was prophesied that it would happen and it happened. Not to mention all of the other hundreds of prophecies that have been fulfilled, not only in the birth, but the life and death of this one man, Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, God's word is true. This book can be trusted. Stop doubting and start believing today. Listen, throughout history, people have tried to pass this book off as myth, but archeology span has proven it to be a, a real and verifiable historical document, right? People have attacked this good book and they've called it old and irrelevant, and yet its words have had Huge implications for our moral code and our legal system spanning over the course of over 2,000 years. I mean, come on, this book is still relevant, folks. 
And it's been attacked, especially in our culture today, this book is being attacked by so many people and yet it has withstood it all and it remains the best-selling book of all time. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And it is because I believe God's word is true and it can be trusted. Amen? Let's keep reading. So in verse 18 there, it says that Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, in Jewish culture, betrothal was much more than a modern day engagement, okay? Um, there was no uh, uh, engagement like, like, we, like we have it today where uh, 15 years ago when I asked my wife to marry me, she was my fiance and I was her fiance. It, it was not like that in the Jewish culture. Betrothal was much more than that. Betrothal was just the first part of a legal marriage, uh, which was known as the Kiddushin. Now, the second part of the marriage was known as the Chapa, and it was uh, where they would have the ceremony and the actual consummation of the marriage. But betrothal here, when it says Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, she was his wife, okay? That betrothal, that Kiddushin was legal marriage. And it says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So before they reached the chapa and became sexually active, Mary was pregnant. Now, we view this historical document here over 2,000 years later, and we know how the story plays out, right? But let's just for a second put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph. Can you imagine the emotions that Joseph experienced in this moment when he finds out his wife is pregnant with what seems to be another man's baby? Can you imagine? Right, Mary walks in, um, Joey, I know this is gonna sound crazy and I know you're gonna be mad at me, but, but I'm pregnant. But hold on, before you get upset, listen, I promise you, I'm still a virgin. I have not had sex. It's from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Joseph's like, say what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on, Mary, we, know, we both know how this whole pregnancy thing works. Right? And so this girl that, that Joseph loved so much appeared to be pregnant by someone else. And, and, and in his mind, he's thinking, oh my gosh, when this gets out, I'm gonna be so humiliated. When this gets out, the rabbis are gonna go crazy and they're, they're probably gonna want me to, to, to have Mary stoned to death, right? I mean, talk about a messy set of circumstances leading into that first Christmas, right? And, and just a little side note, if you're here today and the weeks and days leading into this Christmas have been messy for you, you're in good company with Mary and Joseph, okay? I mean, let's be honest, the holidays can be uh, stressful, right? The holidays can be uh, uh, pretty, pretty messy, especially when you get a bunch of family together. Uh, it can get really messy. Um, listen, 
the hospitals don't empty out just because it's Christmas, right? You know, funeral homes don't close their doors just because it's the holidays and it's the most wonderful time of the year. Actually, for whatever reason, they seem to get busier. You know, Christmas is oftentimes very messy. Marriage troubles don't magically go away just because it's Christmas, right? Rebellious kids don't snap out of their rebellion just because it's Christmas. Christmas time can be really messy. The question is, how should we respond when things get messy leading into Christmas? How do we deal with life when it gets interrupted and when things don't turn out the way that we hoped that they would? Well, we're in good company with Joseph. And I think we can actually learn a lot from him in the scriptures that we're about to read. So I want you to pick up in verse 19 with me. So Joseph's just found out that his wife is pregnant. She claims that it's uh, from the Holy Spirit. He's probably going through all kinds of emotions. And this is what the scripture says. It says, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is where we get a clue into what kind of man this forgotten father of Christmas really was. Matthew says he was a just man. Other translations use the word righteous. And what that means to me is that Joseph was plugged into God. Joseph had a close relationship with God. I believe, based on what we're about to find out, is that not only did Joseph understand that God was just, but he knew God so well that he knew that God was also full of mercy. You see, Joseph knew that the right and the just thing to do was to divorce Mary, but he didn't want her to look bad or even worse, be put to death. Why? Because he was righteous, he was just, he understood the heart of God. You see, Joseph had a double problem. Number one, he knew that a just man couldn't go through a marriage uh, that looked like was stained by adultery. But number two, he also knew that a just man who understands the grace and mercy of God also couldn't live with himself if he were to publicly shame the girl he loves. And so this just and this righteous man that Joseph was decides to divorce Mary quietly instead of going public and making a big stink, making a big scene out of the whole thing, he chooses to honor her. And I gotta tell you, it takes a different kind of guy to be quiet about the fact that the lady that you're betrothed to is pregnant with someone else's baby. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It takes a different kind of person to appropriately deal with life's difficult situations. It takes a different kind of person to appropriately deal with life's difficult situations. Now, what made Joseph different? 
Well, I would like to speculate that he didn't allow his feelings to determine his focus. Now, I imagine he felt betrayed. He was probably very confused. And he was probably pretty angry. Now, you and I know what it feels like to be betrayed and confused and angry, don't we? And let's be honest, it's easy to lose focus and make rash decisions, decisions that we regret when our feelings get hurt and we get caught up in them. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning what I'd like to propose to you is that what we learn from Joseph's example is that feelings can't be the determining factor in how we respond to the difficulties in life. What is right and what is just and what is true and what is honoring to both the Lord and the people that we're in relationship with should be the determining factor in our focus. Here's your next point. Don't let your feelings determine your focus. Don't let your feelings determine your focus. Instead, let justice and mercy and love and faithfulness to the Lord and to the people we're in relationship with determine our focus. Micah 6, 8 says it this way. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So, so, so listen, when we, when we allow our feelings to determine our focus, oftentimes what we do is we rush to judgment and to jo- uh, justice, right? Think about that last argument that you got in or that last time that you were hurt or that last time that difficult situation um, happened in your life. Maybe you got all in your feelings and you rushed to judgment and you rushed to justice. Oftentimes we, we do that, but if we follow Joseph's example here in Micah 6, 8, we go after justice through the lenses of mercy and humility. That's what God requires of, of us. That's what we can learn from the example of Joseph. And so I just wanna ask you this morning, how are you treating people this Christmas season when everything's chaotic and stressful? How are you dealing with that family that's in town that's rubbing you the wrong way? Or what about that store clerk that really dropped the ball with your order last week? Or how about that server that messed up your food? How how are we responding? Are, Are we allowing our feelings to determine our focus? What about that person that you're in a relationship with that's nagging you or bothering you or that's hurt you? Ladies and gentlemen, it takes a different kind of person to appropriately deal with life's difficult situations. Joseph was different because he was close to the heart of God. Joseph was different because he was a righteous man, a man of justice, but also a man of love and of mercy and of grace. He didn't allow his feelings to determine 
his focus. And so divorcing Mary quietly was the just and merciful thing to do based on the information that he had up to this point. But what we're about to find out is that God actually wanted to use this little interruption to advance his good and perfect plan and absolutely change the world. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, talking about Joseph, he's, he's dealing with these emotions, he's considering uh, divorcing Mary quietly. As he, as he considers these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As he considered these things, God sent an angel. How many times have you planned to do something and then God shows up through someone or something and just totally sets you on a new path. Aren't you thankful for a God who's sovereign and who knows what's best for us? That's exactly what God did for Joseph in this situation. God knew that Joseph would divorce Mary. He knew he would walk away from the relationship. And so he sent an angel in a dream to help Joseph believe what Mary had told him, and to redirect his path. What's that old proverb say? I think it's a proverb. Man makes plans, but God directs his paths, right? Write this down. Sometimes our inconveniences are God's redirections. Right, what appeared to be an inconvenience to Joseph was actually God's redirection. And, and, and let me just pose a question here for the sake of, of making some life application for us. Can, can you imagine what might have happened if Joseph was not a righteous man who was close to the heart of God in this situation? Can you imagine how Joseph might have reacted to this, this dream had he not been a righteous man? What do you think he would have done? Well, I think he probably would have pawned the dream off as something crazy. And he probably would have woke up, woken up the next day and said, man, I had this crazy dream. And he would have kept on the same path that he was on, divorcing Mary quietly. If he had, if he had not been a righteous man. My point is, had he not been close to the heart of God, he may have missed this. And I wonder how many times we have these God moments that we've missed because we were in a season of spiritual apathy. I wonder how many times we've been inconvenienced for God's purposes, but because we had been ignoring God in our daily walk, we missed his redirection. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanna encourage you this morning, stay close to the heart of God. Stay plugged into God's word. Make prayer a priority in your life. Because if you don't, you just might miss out on the voice of God 
in a divine moment of inconvenience. Let's jump to verse 24. We'll come back to verses 22 and 23. Because really what Matthew does there in 22 and 23, he kind of breaks from the narrative to get apologetic again and talk about some prophecy from the Old Testament. But I want, I want, to, I want to show you um, how Joseph responded uh, to the dream. Verse 24 says this, it says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, Joseph obeyed the Lord, period. Period. He was going one direction. God showed up in a miraculous way to redirect his path and Joseph obeyed. He took Mary as his wife. He became the adopted father of this little baby boy and he named him Jesus. Scripture says after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary consummated the marriage. And contrary to what some believe, Mary had many more children. If you want proof, write this down. Mark 3, 31. Mark 6, 3. Matthew 13, 55 and 56. And Acts 1, 14. If you missed that, come talk to me later. I'll give those to you. Joseph obeyed God though. And his family, this, this, this family that God blessed him with, especially Jesus, went on to absolutely change the world. Let's go back to verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just a little side note here, because um, I honestly got a little confused, right? Uh, it, it, he says, the, the angel said, name him Jesus. But then here it says, they shall call him Emmanuel. Um, what I found in my study of the scripture is that uh, the name Jesus was the actual name that he was given. Emmanuel was a way to describe his, his role, if you will. So there's no, there's no uh, uh, inconsistency here. It's just the way that it's written in, in, our, in our English uh, translation here. Um, you can study that on your own later. We don't, really don't have time to talk about that a whole lot, but I just wanted to point that out. But verse 22 and 23, like I said earlier, Matthew sort of breaks from the narrative here to apologetically explain the profound truth of the moment. That, that this, this, this miraculous virgin birth was predicted in detail by God through the prophet Isaiah 700 plus years earlier. And, and it happened. It, it happened. And the world has never been the same, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus remains the most influential person of all time. He's the savior of the world. 
He came to save you and he came to save me from our sins. He's the hope of the world. If you have not put your trust in this man, Jesus, I urge you this Christmas to trust him. He really is better than anything this world has to offer. Now we're almost done, but I wanna take the last few minutes that we have to just make a few more points about the life of Joseph. I really think there's some, some valuable lessons that we have to learn um, from him. And I'll start by saying this. Joseph has a very significant role in this story. But did you ever notice that he never speaks? We only hear about what Joseph does. You ever notice that? Like Joseph doesn't get any lines, but what he does get is he gets a role of action. Think about how he responds to Mary's confession of being pregnant. He acts justly and righteously and full of grace by deciding to divorce her quietly. But then the angel shows up, right? How does he respond to that? He acts with obedience. And so consider this, Joseph was a man of action. And I think a great takeaway from his role in the Christmas story is this, actions speak louder than words. Joseph was the kind of guy that didn't need to say a word in order for you to hear him. You know people like that? People whose lives preach a better sermon than their words ever could? That's the kind of guy that I wanna be, a man of action. You know, we live in an age of uh, social media where everybody likes to post. Everybody has something to say. We post, people like it, we feel good about ourselves. Especially around Christmas time, I see a lot of posts about how we should be doing this or how we should be doing that and how we should be generous and you know, help your neighbor and feed the poor and this and that, and that's great. Those are great messages. But what I'd like to submit to you this morning is that our words are empty if there's no action behind it. And honestly, I would rather be a person of action that never posts about it and gets public accolades than to be the person that posts and never does anything about it. First John 3, 17 and 18 says this. This is so good for, for this season of, of Christmas where this spirit of generosity just erupts in everyone. But listen to this. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Don't just say it, do something about it. And so if you're here this morning, I want you to know it's not too late this Christmas to follow through on your post. It's not too late to follow through on the words that you've spoken. Maybe you were gonna show a heart of compassion this, this season and you posted about it. Oh, let's be compassionate this, this Christmas season instead of just being consumerist. It's not too late to be compassionate to someone. Maybe you said you were gonna be generous in some way. It's not too late to be generous. Maybe you said you were gonna help that struggling single mom down the road. 
with some bills or with some food or something, but you just hadn't gotten around to it because you're too busy. Listen, it's not too late to put action to those words. Ladies and gentlemen, actions speak louder than words. Let's be people of action, not people of social media posts. Let's be people of action, all right? Something else I think we can learn from Joseph's obedience is this right here. We should obey God even when we're afraid and when it doesn't make sense. I guarantee you Joseph was afraid. I mean, come on, he was, he was betrothed to a woman who was pregnant and it seemed to be by, from, from someone else's baby. And, and like I said earlier, the rabbis of that day would have insisted divorce and possibly even death by stoning. I would be afraid. And then an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. I mean, that's some scary stuff. Not, not to mention the fact that none of this makes sense. You know, they, they, were, they were about to have the, 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 the perfect moment, you know, of, of, of consummating uh, this marriage and having this great ceremony. They were so excited and there's this, this huge interruption happened and they're like, Mike, I don't, I don't get it. Like, what is going on, right? But what does he do? He hears the words of the Lord and in the middle of all the chaos and in the middle of all the fear and the middle of all the uncertainty, man, he just trusts God and he obeys him. What about you? Are you trusting and are you obeying the Lord when you're afraid? Are you pursuing God's path for your life even when it doesn't make sense? And let me just get a little bit more specific here. When a disagreement arises with your family, do you let your feelings drive you to fight? Or do you obey God in that moment and push for peace? You know, sometimes being peaceful with people who hurt you doesn't make sense, but it's God's will for your life. We can't let our feelings determine our focus goes back to what I was saying earlier. Here's your last point. Obedience gives you a platform of influence. Joseph obeyed God. And on the other side of that obedience was the honor and the privilege of being the earthly father of the savior of the world. Talk about a platform of influence. And yes, Jesus was God, right? Yes, he was sinless and perfect. Don't you wish you could say that about your kids, right? Amen. But make no mistake, this man Joseph, as the father of this little boy, he influenced him. He took him fishing. He taught him how to work with wood. He influenced Jesus, and Jesus became the most influential figure of all time. Talk about a legacy. I mean, had Joseph allowed his feelings to determine his focus, had, had he disobeyed God, my goodness, he would have totally missed out on what God wanted to do through his family. And I'm just curious this morning, what, what platform of influence could be on the other side of obedience for us? Because let me tell you something, when you're obedient to God, you become spiritually attractive. 
When you're obedient to God, you become an example worth following. Fathers, you need to hear that. Fathers with sons and daughters. Mothers, you have such an incredible opportunity to influence your kids. And if you would just become obedient to the Lord in your daily walk, I'm telling you, it can change the world through your kids. You have such an incredible platform of influence when you obey the Lord. Obedience gives us a platform of influence. So let me just close with a little bit of summary here. This Christmas, I hope that we won't forget Joseph. I hope that we'll remember him and I hope that we'll follow his example. And so let's trust God even when it's scary and even when it doesn't make sense. Let's, let's be different. And, and let's not allow our feelings to determine our focus. But let's let justice and righteousness and mercy and love and grace be evident in our lives this Christmas. And let's be people of influence because we obeyed the Lord in our day-to-day life. I'm gonna pray, Pastor Mike's gonna come up and and dismiss you guys. God, thank you for Joseph. Uh, May we not forget him, but may we remember him and may we follow his example. Um, God, we thank you today for Jesus Christ, that you, God, wrapped yourself in flesh and became a, a, a baby boy and you died for us so that we wouldn't have to. You took our punishment for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And so this Christmas, God, we praise you for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.